Well, hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Mastering Risk Management podcast. I'm Anthony Wilson. Great to have your company again. And once again, uh, we have a very special guest, again, from the other side of the world. We'll have to find an Australian one day, but uh, <laughs> we have uh, uh, another fine gentleman from the, representing the US of A. So, uh, Paul Valenti, and Paul is the CEO and co-founder of Viso Trust. So, he was a former CISO, so Chief Information Security Officer, for those of you who don't know that abbreviation, um, of Restoration Hardware, Lending Club, and... A-S-A-double-P, so I'll have to ask Paul what that is a little bit later on. Um, He holds several industry designations, including Certified Information System Security Professional, uh, which is a CISSP, Certified Information Systems Manager, CISM, and an ISO 27001 Lead Implementer. Uh, He brings over 20 years of technology, financial services, e-commerce, and information security innovation delivering service and value to customers, partners, and shareholders. So, welcome, Paul. Thank you, Anthony. I'm delighted to be here. That's great to have you. So, I guess we should get that question out of the road first. What was ASAPP? (laughs) Well, great question. Yeah, so ASAP is a technology company. They are headquartered in New York in the United States. And they are specialized, they're specialized in AI, actually. In fact, I spent um, a a couple of years with them as their first chief information security officer. And they are busy automating customer service and doing customer service, both augmentation and full automation um, for very large companies, typically uh, telecommunications companies, also uh, large uh, travel airlines, things like that. So um, a very, very exciting company with some of the best AI researchers in the world. And so uh, my co-founder, Russ Sherman, and I uh, worked there together. Uh, we were also at, at uh, another company, Lending Club, together prior to that. And there we got to build uh, security tools with AI. And, uh, and again, work shoulder to shoulder with some of the best AI researchers in the world. Very exciting company. Thanks for asking. Yeah, no, that's that sounds fascinating. Um, and Viso Trust. So for those that haven't heard, and, um, you know, the listeners, uh, Paul, as you know, are sort of risk, ma- risk management professionals, chief risk officers, um, you know, heads of risk, whatever the role is. And this whole cybersecurity space is very much front of mind at the moment. So Viso Trust, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Visa Trust essentially automates what we call third-party cyber risk management. So, as uh, you know, as many listeners may be aware, maybe some may not, companies rely on the products and services of other companies to do business. And today, companies are actually approaching a hundred percent of their technology being owned by third parties. Essentially, digital transformation, as it's as it's referred to over the last twenty years, has led to where companies may have relied on a handful of other companies for digital services, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Nowadays, we see upwards of twice as many apps as employees in in some cases. So really enormous numbers of third parties being relied on. And and as the risk officers out there can can sympathize with when you share sensitive data or access with third parties, that brings risk. And to be a responsible custodian of, of, of sensitive information a company, uh, as required by many regulations today and, and required by security standards for, for many years now, uh, companies need to know who they're doing business with and they need to assess 
uh, and manage the security of those companies, right, um, in order to protect the data that they share. And so uh, Visa Trust was essentially established um, in early 2020, uh, after many years of research by my co-founder and myself, um, to assent, uh, uh, to address the data quality and scalability issues, really, that accompany TPRM, or third-party cyber risk management processes. Wow. That sounds absolutely fascinating, and and we'll come back to it and explore this some more because I think this is really important for risk managers. I, th- I think you know we've we've all had that conversation about you know oh that's a data problem that belongs to IT, but I think the real world says hang on this is a business issue and business creates these risks, so business should manage these risks and not just throw it over the fence to the IT team. So I'll be interested to get your thoughts on that in a moment. But perhaps first, maybe we can wind all the way back to the beginning and. Paul was just finishing school and deciding on a future and a career. <laughs> what took you down the path? That, uh, uh, well, I, I presume you got into some sort of IT-related uh, discipline, but can you tell us a little bit about how you got started? Yeah, yeah. So I got started in technology really at a very young age. I was I was asked by um, my mother, actually, to computerize the family business. And, um, and so I spent, uh, I kind of, you know, really serendipitously, became a technologist and uh, was working in technology from very, very early on. I got my my first uh, real introduction to security was uh, in the year 2000, after I'd actually been working in technology for small businesses for quite a while already. I took a, a job working for city government. And that was, for me, that was kind of my first kind of corporate, even though it's not corporate, it's public sector, right? Um, my uh, my first job working for a, a large organization, and uh, there I was essentially an IT administrator. But uh, I moved through the ranks, you know, very quickly. I found I had a knack for for security and security administration. Started working on firewalls and managing crime and dispatch uh, computers and machines, and and uh, started studying uh, security more in depth uh, nights and weekends. Uh, taking college courses. I then actually ended up teaching those college courses. I switched to being an instructor uh, and continued working in public sector and then private sector full time while teaching nights and weekends, college courses in security. Uh, And then, you know, since then, that's been my focus has been uh, cybersecurity for the past uh, couple of decades here. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting too, Paul. I I, uh, I smiled a little bit as you were telling your story of uh, of two thousand and security. Um, I lecture in uh, information systems audit and assurance at uh, at one of the universities, and my supervisor uh, would pull her hair out and say, "Cyber security. I mean, it's been around for forty years. Why is everybody getting into it now?" <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's it's been a perpetual problem. Indeed, for sure. Yeah. So so uh, always been in the space, and um, you know now built into what you do day to day, and it's it's your organisation's actual reason for being, sort of thing. So uh, tell us, uh, when did the whole artificial intelligence, machine learning, all of that sort of stuff? raise its head as a as a potential solution here I, I presume that i mean we're hearing a lot about it now with you know chat gpts and all of those sort of things but when, when did this raise its head in the in the cyber security space yeah so so taking it back a little bit for me i've been in, i've been involved in third-party cyber risk management um for uh, just a little bit after i got involved in security so maybe about five years 
uh, after, so maybe around 2005 or so, I started working for companies that were uh, essentially making what we what we then called application service provider, you know, based products, uh, which we now call SaaS, right? Software as a service, and uh, and back then it was a model that large enterprises were very very wary of. They were very concerned of, particularly from a from a security point of view. And over the course of working for for companies that were exploring that model, I eventually worked for a company uh, called Angel Points, which was essentially making corporate social responsibility software in what we now would call a SaaS model. And the an interesting thing, I was very inspired by the mission. You know, we were focused on corporate giving and sustainability and volunteer management, but those were things that only the largest companies in the world were really interested in such a product, right? And so we actually garnered 250 of the Fortune 1000 um, during, during my time there. And I essentially was on the receiving end, being responsible for their security and in many ways their technology infrastructure. I was on the receiving end of the early risk management processes around security for, uh, again, 250 of the Fortune 1000. I was receiving 3,000 question questionnaires. And that's what essentially, you know, alerted me to how broken this process was, right? It would take us a long time to fill out, fill out those questionnaires. It would, in some cases, uh, I, I would have situations of, well, do I hire another person to build more security or do I hire another person to help me fill these questionnaires, right? Um, you know, obviously from a, from a real value standpoint, I'd rather hire somebody to build the security program, not to not to fill out questionnaires, right? But to actually satisfy the requirements of doing business with these large companies, that's what we had to do. And and I found that the process was very broken. Our buyers were typically completely disconnected from the risk teams that were uh, that were responsible for conducting these assessments. They really had no understanding and no interest in what the risk teams were doing. Oftentimes, we'd be getting assessment requests months after the contract was signed. Right. So not much really that can be done at that point about the relationship. Data has already been exchanged. Right. We're already, uh, you know, deeply working together. And so uh, my observation was that it was, you know, just really broken from a from a risk standpoint, from risk ROI standpoint. Yet it was clear that these companies were very, very concerned about this. They're investing a lot of money. They had large teams that were responsible for conducting these assessments. And, and so then through my career as a security leader, you know, I continued to, um, to work on both sides of, of, of that issue and was responsible for setting up teams that um, needed to vet, you know, thousands of third parties, particularly when I was at Lending Club working with uh, my now co-founder, Russ Sherman, we needed to address this problem very quickly. We were growing very fast we needed to onboard new relationships quickly to support business initiatives. And, uh, and we were also very concerned about risk, right? We were highly regulated as a financial services organization and needed to do right by our, our customers and, our, and our, uh, our funding partners. And so uh, we set up a process that was questionnaire-based. We thought it was lightweight, but turned out to be labor-intensive and slow. And we, you know, that really embarked us on the journey of building software and uh, and starting to build AI models um, to uh, to really assess risk in a different way that doesn't rely on questionnaires. And um, that's really, you know, what got us into that. And we've 
we let's see i think we started uh building models and researching the filing patents uh around 2016 i think is where we where we started that and so we were you know hard at work on the research side for um more than four years we also interviewed you know over 300 CISOs during that time we we spoke at roundtables and um you know did a lot of uh prototyping as well as we uh as we started uh working with machine learning to solve this problem fantastic and paul for a very non-technical person like myself how does the process work so what what is the assessment process uh that goes on for one of these third parties yeah so the historical process as i kind of alluded to before is sending questionnaires right um that's what folks have been doing for the last you know 20 plus years is um and and unfortunately today there's there's a lot of problems with that first more than 50% of companies won't respond to questionnaires at this point right and so if that's your process then you're going to have huge gaps just from the get go right the second the second thing is that the prospect of actually sending lots of questionnaires to hundreds or thousands of of third parties uh, answering all of the questions that uh, that that those may generate um, and then actually consistently analyzing those responses in a way that is custom to the particular business relationship, the particular data, is actually a really logistically difficult problem. It takes a large team and it takes a lot of time, typically more time than business stakeholders have to wait before they implement their new solutions and their new initiatives, right? Um, and so and so they can create a lot of delays to time to value and create actually business risk. Um, and, you know, we recognize that, you know, we tried a lot of solutions that are focused on, on automating that problem, essentially putting questionnaires online, right? We also took a look at solutions that are out there that, um, that essentially do what in the security world is called open source intelligence, essentially looking at public information to try and extrapolate a company's security posture based on you know, what might be found um, on the web or in LinkedIn or, or that sort of thing, or, or with a company's, the, the public aspects of their technology footprint. And we found that to be very dubious. We, uh, we wasted a lot of time on false positives. We found lots of information that was irrelevant, often led us down rabbit holes and, and just could not find you know, any solution in the marketplace that would, would satisfy us. And as our models matured and we realized that the way companies want to be assessed is they want to be assessed based on artifacts of a security program that already exist. And it's actually where you can get much more objective information as well, uh, as well as information that is uh, in, in many cases validated by fourth parties, because companies that have mature programs hire fourth parties to assess their security posture and they produce artifacts of, uh, you know, of, of those engagements. And so uh, we essentially built a process that allows us to engage, you know, a third party in uh, with our SaaS platform uh, in a five minute web-based session where third parties are prompted to upload relevant artifacts of their security program that already exist. And our supervised AI, we call document intelligence, does the rest. Essentially, Document intelligence uh, references over 25 security frameworks. It can it uses what are, what's called document heuristics uh, and natural language processing to extract all relevant control information from any written material. It identifies artifacts 
it extracts control language and essentially feeds that to our risk model, which populates a risk assessment uh, that essentially tells our customers, you know, everything they need to know to make qualified risk decisions uh, about third, fourth and nth party relationships. Wow. So that sounds like, and and I've seen a, a couple of, you know, audits come out of uh, third parties, uh, you know, trying to, to win business or whatever else. So if, if an auditor has uh, written about a third party software provider, yes, your firewall's not too bad, but it needs this improvement step. Does that right. does that process pick that improvement step up and rate Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so essentially the way it works, it's actually, it's, it's rather simple from a user standpoint, but it's, it's quite complex on, on, yeah. on the back end. It takes about a minute to create a relationship on the platform. And the folks that create relationships are the folks responsible for third party security. So maybe members of some of our audience members, risk teams or security teams, right. That are responsible for vetting third parties. And when they create that relationship, they define in our platform the unique way that they're doing business and the data that's in scope for the relationship. And it just takes a couple clicks, but it's based on over 25 security frameworks and and accurately models the attack surface, if you will, of the relationship, as well as the potential impact from a financial data loss standpoint. And it uses that to create an inherent risk model that is uh, what we judge against when we uh, when we assess the controls uh, that are in scope for the relationship based on that initial assessment, uh, which we do once we collect the artifacts from the third parties. Wow, that's fascinating. And and uh, Paul, is it? I'm just wondering about the scope of the work. Is this? I mean, some organisations, and you referred to some large organisations, have thousands, if not tens of thousands, of of third parties. Um, yeah. Is it just those that are, say, handling the organisation's data? Is it just all third parties? What What is the scope typically? That's a great question. I think there we kind of get into a, a bit about best practices, which is, you know, I think really useful to talk about here. Um, because there's such a scalability problem for for many companies, you know, trying to address this problem, companies have a tendency to kind of cherry pick the vendors that they apply this process to, right? They might say, okay, we've got, you know, 6,000 vendors, but, um, you know, we know we can't assess 6,000. So let's, um, let's just choose, uh, you know, maybe the 20 or maybe the 100 uh, that we define as critical. And then you're going to ask, you know, your chief risk officer, for instance, can ask, well, what are we, what are we defining as critical? And then maybe they'll plug a dollar amount on that, or they'll say whether it's operationally critical for us to, to whether, you know, downtime would affect our business day to day, that sort of thing, right? Which is very different from who do we share sensitive data with or who has access to our systems, right? You can end up with a situation that's rather disconnected from, from cybersecurity, but, but still might work on paper in terms of, you know, some, some regulations and, and, uh, and the standards in terms of um, audit that are out there today. So it's very important, you know, to take a, a sober look that, that is really aligned with the company's objectives and the company's view of risk. If the company is prioritizing cybersecurity, which, you know, I think pretty much today, at every company, it, you know, behooves them to, uh, to, to be looking at, at cyber risk. They need to take that lens on their third parties as well. And the best practice there, which is very difficult unless you have a platform that is highly automated that can do this, is to assess all your vendors based on an inherent risk model, right? Based on how you're doing business with them, 
the data that you're sharing with them, et cetera. And then based on those risk, risk thresholds, then applying who to do the residual risk assessment on. Right. And uh, and so anyway, does that answer your question, Anthony? Yeah, Paul. And uh, the, the, the thing that was rattling around in my head uh, was Target in the US and the, um, the HVAC provider. So, uh, you yeah. know, obviously maybe some data going back and forth between them in terms of uh, facilities management type data, but not, you know, customer data or those sort of things. But that led to that incident i can't even remember the numbers paul i think it was a hundred million plus oh my goodness credit cards yeah, you know, very, from a third party provider credit card data breach yeah yeah, yeah. and and that yeah, and there's that been a was... lot of those since then as well yeah it's they're they're quite frequently frequent today i think uber uber was one of the last the most recent big ones that had a highly public third party breach with a yeah. activity was the name of the of the provider, um, which is such an unknown provider and such an obscure um, data set that they had that uh, it certainly brings up the question of whether their technology team was even aware of this vendor, let alone had they reviewed them or were they aware of the sensitivity of data that they were sharing with them, right? So that awareness is really, really critical. And um, it's something that uh, many companies are struggling to get. And we're, we're very delighted that our customers, um, you know, are able to gain complete visibility into their third-party populations, many of them for the first time. Yeah. It, it sounds like, Paul, and maybe this, this leads to my next question as well, and, and, and that is, what does an engagement with Viso Trust look like? And, and, and I, I'm just wondering, is there some sort of... I was going to say data mapping exercise, but I'm just wondering whether it's actually a little bit broader than that even, whether it's actually a connections mapping exercise. So, you know, who do we connect with as a third party? They may not necessarily be handling our data or receiving our data. They may actually just be connected to our system for another reason. Um, So how would a typical engagement look for an organisation? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, our platform is a SaaS platform. It takes four minutes to uh, to essentially fire up a, a a new a new company on the platform, and they get a full blown working third party cybers management program. Right? There's no configuration or anything like that required. In terms of getting your third party population on the platform, we essentially meet customers where they are, and it's there's a lot of fragmentation. It's there's a lot of uh, diversity among companies in terms of where they are in that in that journey in their third party security journey. So we have some companies that you know that are highly mature and they may have an inventory of vendors perhaps on a procurement platform or maybe in a in a GRC or work tracking or uh, or some other platform. For those we can integrate via API, we can also uh, bulk import data. We could also do that, you know, from finance systems as well. A lot of times, that's where companies have their uh, third-party data consolidated. Um, so there's a variety of ways there. But for companies that are that are less mature, that essentially are firing up new processes, it takes a company uh, less than a minute to create a relationship on the platform. So when companies decide, okay, from today forward, everything's going to go through Viso, they're able to uh, to do that very very quickly typically with a 90% operational efficiency from where they were before. So it's really very simple to onboard on the platform and gain that complete visibility into your entire population. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Cause I, I, and I think 
maybe maybe the uh, the biggest first step to get over is for organisations to understand you know the potential scope of this and just get their heads around it's not just the person you're sending credit card data to or you know customers email addresses or whatever else it it could be a potentially much broader uh, spectrum of third parties that's absolutely right that's absolutely right and i think you know m- many many folks listening when they check with their with their teams you know perhaps their head of procurement about how many third parties they have they might be shocked at, at that number, right? It can be very large or even just how many technology providers or or how many they share sensitive data with, right? Companies, um, we find that uh, most enterprises uh, of, of even a medium size are sharing sensitive data with uh, more than 100 vendors, right? And it just kind of goes up from there to, as we talked about earlier, thousands and in some cases, tens of thousands. And so it can be very shocking. It's a, it's a, it's a big issue. There's a lot of risk potential. Uh, most companies actually have more data outside, you know, outside of their four walls than, than within them, if they even have four walls anymore, right, the way it is today. Uh, and so it's a growing risk. And, uh, and definitely, uh, if there's any advice, you know, for me to give, that, that's one of the top ones uh, is, is to prioritize that risk, right, to, to understand that, that your company is responsible your security team and your technology organization is responsible. Um, and there's really no, there's no transferring data breaches, right? They, they, they're, they're always, you're responsible if the data was entrusted to you, you're responsible, right? So folks need to prioritize it if they're not. Yeah. And, and Paul, is the, uh, I'm just trying to get my head around the very dynamic space that cybersecurity is. Once an organization's on the platform and has those third parties analyzed, is that like an initial process and then a periodic process or is it an ongoing process? How how does that go from then? Great question, Anthony. You know, when you assess a third party and then you decide to do business with them, that's really just the beginning, right? Um, You're going to be working with that company sharing data and sharing risk um, really for the life of that relationship, perhaps even sometime beyond that, you know, because data usually uh, has to be there for some period afterwards for disaster recovery purposes. So, uh, so our platform has a feature that we call lifecycle management. And what lifecycle management does is it continually monitors the relationship in a number of different ways. So you mentioned periodic review. Most companies by default, they assess vendors perhaps on an annual basis. Uh, sometimes based on risk, they might assess them more frequently or less frequently. And our platform supports anywhere from three months to three years. But um, again, most companies do so annually. And so we completely automate that process. We also, if there's remediation, perhaps you've written into a contract that a company needs to uh, add certain security controls on a certain time frame. We will automatically follow up on that. Also, artifacts that we have used to to extract information and populate the assessment and the control uh, presence. Uh, those artifacts expire as well. Um, companies are expected to have pen tests at penetration tests on certain frequencies to get their third party audits done on certain frequencies. And our platform is aware of that. Essentially, proactively reaches out and and request those artifacts before uh, before the old ones expire in order to keep the assessment continually up to date and to notify 
customers of any critical changes in risk proactively. Lastly, we monitor public sources for high-profile security incidents and, uh, and third-party breaches. We will essentially notify our customers if any impacted third-party uh, or even actually fourth or nth party um, uh, has been impacted with regard to their population and essentially prioritize for them any additional diligence that they need to do uh, with regard to uh, various parts of their ecosystem that may have been impacted from those incidents. So, yeah, it's a great, great question, Anthony. It's, it's really just the beginning. Uh, you know, you need to you need to assess vendors, hopefully before, you know, before you start doing business with them. Hopefully early on as part of the selection process, many of our customers have been able to shift this process left because we make it so fast and easy and simple to assess third parties. They're able to essentially see business owners integrating security requirements as business requirements, and therefore making selections between vendors based on who's more secure in addition to other business requirements. And, and so assess before, assess during, right? Um, continually assess. Continuous automated due diligence. That's what we what we call it. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. And and it does remind me of the I'm gonna say old days, but your typical supply chain risk assessments, you know, who's your supplier, who's your supplier supplier, and who's your supplier supplier right. supplier. So, you know, that was all uh critical to make sure you kept goods and product and that sort of stuff coming through the system. The product now is data, I suppose, and uh, you know the same diligence uh, and risk management yeah. principles apply. Indeed, yeah, yeah. So, Paul, um, I imagine that you've already been approached. If not, I'm sure they will be coming to you shortly. But uh, insurance companies writing cybersecurity policies must look to you guys and say, "Hey, <laughs> where's the report on that organisation?" Before I underwrite this risk. Has that happened? Is that something yeah, that you... Yeah, so we, we have a yep. number of insurance customers right now yep. that use us for a variety of use cases, including those. We also, you know, third party is a is kind of an umbrella term. Uh, vendors are certainly the most common use case on the platform, but we have customers like Gusto, a financial services company, that actually uh, vets their partner network. So their partners, which are essentially customers to them, also gain access to data as part of the service. And so it's important to them that customers meet certain security requirements. Uh, insurance companies, you know, have their, um, you know, have those that they insure uh, vetted. Uh, in some cases, we have investment firms that uh, vet their portfolio companies. Sometimes companies uh, vet other companies prior to M&A or when they're considering M&A or other similar activities. So there's lots of use cases for um, assessing third parties, be it customers, partners, or otherwise. And uh, and we definitely see a lot of activity with uh, broadly across all those use cases. Yeah, fantastic. No, that's that's great, and it's certainly a, um, a, a growing part of the market in being able to certify that you've done the right thing uh, with your underwriters and giving them some comfort. And and obviously, you then get the benefit of that in hopefully you know better cover, reduced premiums, all of those those sorts of things are well worth the effort. Yeah, yeah, Excellent. for sure. And Paul, I, I presume global domination is the goal and, you know, be everywhere and take over every company <laughs> and those sort of things. Is it is it available broadly uh, across the globe? It is. It yep. is broadly available across the globe. Yep. And we, uh, right now, many of our customers, regardless of their location, they have global vendors, 
right? Yes. Uh, global yes. vendor population, right? And so that's one of the things that is so powerful about document intelligence is it al- actually allows us to to assess any company, regardless of you know not only size and maturity and industry vertical, but also uh, according uh, across region, right? So document intelligence actually can ingest written material in a variety of different languages, um, you know, from around the globe, um, and also recognizes a, a vast list of different security frameworks, many of which are, and privacy frameworks, many of which are, are regional in nature. So yeah, great question, and, uh, and definitely a lot of growth um, happening globally, both on the vendor side and on the customer side. Fantastic. Oh, well, that's great news for the listeners. So they can, can contact you after they've listened and uh, have a discussion. Uh, Paul, it would be remiss of me not to ask you the question that I ask all my guests, and that's to share some of your wisdom and experience uh, over your, your career with somebody just starting out, young person thinking about their career journey and, and what they should do. What, what advice would you give them for success? Yeah, you know, I, I think that in this area, in the areas of risk, I think it's it's really important to, the, you know, there's one thing that I'll reiterate that I mentioned before, which is prioritizing third-party risk. I think it's, it's you know, with companies approaching 100% of their technology footprint, it just cannot be ignored, right? The second thing is to set up processes that support the initiatives of the business, right? I think, you know, you may have read, I'm sure many of your, um, many of your listeners have read that CISO tenure can, you know, often averages like 18 to 24 months, right? Uh, security teams get branded the department of no or the department of slow. They're seen as, you know, out of sync with, uh, with the needs of the business. And one of the things that I learned as a CISO was the importance of partnering with business to make their initiative successful. And part of making them successful is keeping them secure, right? And uh, one of the things that our, our customers ha- has been, it's so transformative for them. You know, we have some customers that actually cycled through three teams trying to solve this problem. And after having been branded the department of no and uh, bypassed receiving a vote of no, no confidence from the procurement process, uh, you know, they they kind of finally decided that they needed to implement a better way. And we're delighted to be able to share that they've been transformed at this point to a model for innovation and automation within the company, right? With a very, very different sort of thing. And so, so that's, you know, you really just have to be easy to do business with. And that is really, really important for any any risk professional to understand, right? You're not there to kind of just stop everything and throw the brakes on you're you're there to make sure that companies make good decisions and that leaders have the information they need to make good decisions and so that's the second thing and then the third thing is to uh you know like we talked about a little bit in the preamble before we got started uh ai is making very very powerful advances and it's it's very important to understand what's out there and and take advantage of it. Obviously, there's going to be limitations. There's going to be issues. There's going to be areas where you have to establish trust. You know, as there as uh, as as we're talking about, you know, through through everything in this conversation. But there are incredible opportunities to reduce manual work, and you know, like like our our customers tell us, you know, achieve ninety percent operational efficiency and and gain visibility where where you never could before with complete uh, 100% vendor adoption. So 
anyway, th- those are my three key pieces of advice. Prioritize uh, third-party security, um, be a good business partner, and take advantage of, of AI and automation. Yeah. Excellent. No, that's fantastic, Paul. Thank you for that. And I'm sure um, the listeners and particularly those starting out their journey would be very appreciative uh, of that advice. So thank you for that. Now, people wanting to reach out to you, Paul, uh, I know you're on LinkedIn. I've uh, seen you there. Um, so that's one way. Visotrust.com, I guess, is the uh, is the website. If they want to reach out, I guess that's the best way to, to touch base and make inquiries. Yeah, both those places are great. We've got lots of uh, case studies and resources and research available on the website. And and uh, also you could connect with me directly on LinkedIn or, or send me an email at paul at visotrust.com. Be delighted to hear from anybody and, and answer any questions that anybody might have. Excellent. All right. Well, I will put those links in the show notes. So, uh, Paul, thank you very much for your time. I'm sure the listeners have been very appreciative of, uh, of a fascinating conversation. You too, Anthony. It's been a delightful conversation and thanks for having me on the show and thanks everybody for listening. Excellent. Well, you've been listening to Paul Valenti, CEO and co-founder of Trust. So hope you've enjoyed that conversation. I found that absolutely fascinating. So, you know, do yourself a favor, get in touch with them and find out a little bit more. It, it, it absolutely has uh, applicability for all organizations or anyone that's connected to anyone by the sounds of it. So get in there, have a look at it and find out a little bit more. So thank you again for listening. I'm Anthony Wilson. You've been listening to Mastering Risk Management. We'll talk again soon. Cheers. 